We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter, and the first chapter, the book of 1 Peter, and the first chapter, and I will be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 14 through 21. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 21. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here the Apostle Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who is holy has called you, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the futile perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but it was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for this opportunity to hear it preached. And we would ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, that he might be our teacher and guide, that he might reveal to us the truth of your word and to apply it to our lives, to our thinking as only he can as the sovereign spirit. We ask now for his movement. We ask now for his power in our lives. For we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Brethren, this morning we want to return to our series here in 1 Peter chapter 1. And with Peter's guidance, we want to build on our understanding of how we are to live in light of who God is and what he calls us to be. We are reminded, first of all, back in verses 14 through 16, that God is holy. God is holy. In fact, Peter wrote, he who called you is holy. And because our God is holy and we are called as spiritual children to reflect our Father's character, we must also endeavor to be holy also. The one who has called us to be holy, just as he is holy, should not be living as unholy individuals. We should not follow after the world's pattern of living or be controlled by our former lusts, but rather a Christian is one who should be living constantly under the renewal of God's word, reforming his or her life according to the word of God. And he does so in complete dependence on the spirit of God because he knows, we know that true holiness is the spiritual fruit of the spirit's work within us. True holiness is not the product of our own energy or our own efforts. So the first thing that Peter emphasizes, the first thing that Peter teaches us on this theme of who God is and how we are to live is that God is holy and that because of our relationship with him, we are to be holy as well. 
thy trust, brethren, that we have given some careful and prayerful thought since last Sunday to the fact that God is holy, that he has the right to demand that we as his children and as his representatives in an, unhold, in an unholy world live in a way that speaks of who he is as the Holy One, as one who is wholly other than us. The fact that we are his holy offspring. For truly God is pleased, God is glorified, God is rightly honored when his children testify of who he is by their words and by the way that they live. And thus, let us not merely talk about holiness, but let us truly display holiness. Then secondly, we see here as we come to our text this morning that not only is God holy in all that he is and all that he does, but he is also just and impartial as a judge. He is just and impartial as a judge. For Peter writes here, beginning in verse 17, and if you call on him as father, and that's what a child does, by the way, calls upon his or her father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So here, Peter presents our Father not only as the Holy One, not only as the one who sets the pattern for how we are to live as holy people, but the one who will also hold us accountable for the way that we live. For God is a judge who will hold all men accountable. He is a judge, according to Peter, who is never guilty of partiality when it comes to holding men to different standards of conduct or different standards of behavior. For every person will be judged according to his deeds. Of course, this even applies to Christians. Although, as we will see, our justification, our redemption in Jesus Christ has already completed and settled the matter of our redemption because Christ has completed and settled it. And because he has, we shall never lose our righteous standing before God. And yet while we are justified, while we are accepted, we are still subject to God's commands and we are still held accountable as children are held accountable to obey their own father. How should we live our lives? In the time that God has appointed for us to live on this earth, we should live our lives, brethren. We should approach our sacred duties before the presence of Almighty God with a healthy sense of fear. A healthy sense of fear. Or with awe and respect for who God is and what he is entitled to receive from each one of us. And of course, when I speak of the need for fear here, I am not suggesting that we should live in absolute terror or dread of God as though we're afraid that he will reject us or withdraw his affection from us, but rather we are to live with such awe and respect for God, for who he is, and for our own accountability before him, that we willingly and freely do those things that bring him the greatest honor. And we willingly avoid those behaviors that he has revealed in his word as sin. 
So as Peter states here in verse 17, we are called to live, we are called to conduct ourselves throughout our earthly pilgrimage on this earth with a healthy awe and respect for God, knowing that we are held directly accountable to him for our conduct, knowing that we could open ourselves up to God's firm fatherly discipline if we fail to express and exercise what we rightfully owe to him. And yet while we have responsibilities regarding how we are to review or how we are to view God and how we are to work out the grace of God in our sanctification, Peter is careful to remind us here in verses 18 and 19 of this chapter that the real reason that we are able to pursue holiness, the real reason that you and I are able to maintain a holy awe and respect for God is that we have been ransomed by Christ. We have been ransomed by Christ. In fact, our hope of heaven, our, our hope of sanctification is not founded on our own works, on our own strength, but it flows from the work that Christ has done as the one who ransomed us from the sinfulness and the slavery of our former ways. Of course, Peter's goal here in these two verses, verses 18 and 19, is to highlight the nature and to highlight the costliness of that ransom that was paid by Christ so that we can have the encouragement and the motivation we need to pursue holiness, to pursue our sanctification with joy, knowing that we are not required to add anything to what Jesus Christ did, nor could we add anything to what Jesus Christ did, even if we strive to do so for the ransom that has already been purchased for us by Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to guarantee our full and permanent acceptance with God and to lay a foundation for the Holy Spirit's powerful and progressive work of sanctifying us body, soul, wholly and completely. For clearly, Peter's great purpose here in our text is to ground us in the knowledge of how Christ ransomed us. How Christ ransomed us. So that we'll understand and appreciate that ransom all the more. Peter begins here in verse 18 by reminding us of the fact that we've been ransomed or we've been set free from our past. We've been set free from the ways that we once walked in. For you'll recall from our previous consideration to verse 14 of this chapter that we once lived in bondage to our sinful passions, all of us did, to the ignorance of this lost world. We were driven by passions. We were absolutely ignorant. Therefore, we were helpless to release ourselves, to free ourselves from those sinful passions, and from those ungodly thoughts that once held us in bondage. And that's what it was, bondage, slavery. And yet God, through his almighty power, ransomed us. God delivered us. God released us for himself. And he set us free, Peter says here in verse 18, from the futile ways that we inherited from our forefathers. 
For had you and I continued in the sinful ways that our fathers passed down to us, we would have remained in blindness. We would have remained in spiritual bondage. We would have ultimately perished. But once again, in his profound mercy, God ransomed and redeemed us. And what is so remarkable is that he did so by bringing us into his own family. That's how he ransomed us. That's how he delivered us. That's how he freed us, by bringing us into his own family. Because before we were ransomed, Peter reveals here in our text that we walked after the feudal ways we inherited from our forefathers. But now, according to the Apostle Peter, you and I are in a different family. And now we call upon God as our Father. Now we walk in ways that were appointed by him. What a vast difference. Not ways that were driven by passion and ignorance, but ways that were appointed by God. Ways that are no longer futile. Ways that are now fruitful and flowering. Ways that lead to true life and peace. So first of all, Peter would have us to remember that we've been ransomed. We've been released from the cruel bondage of our former ways of thinking and of living. And of course, if this is true of us, if we have in fact been ransomed, we should rejoice in this. We should know this to the point that it keeps us encouraged and motivated in our pursuit of holiness. For the knowledge that we've been ransomed is not only a profound theological concept to be grasped, and to understand, but it is a spiritual and practical reality that we should appreciate and constantly live in light of. I trust, dear believer, that you will think and reflect this morning on the fact that you've been ransomed from your past. You've been ransomed from who you once were and what you once did that you will draw encouragement and strength from the fact that you are no longer there. You are no longer living in Egypt. You are no longer in bondage in the household of Pharaoh. But now you are in God's family. Now you have an inheritance in Jesus Christ, not like the worthless inheritance unto death that you inherited from your forefathers but you have a glorious inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved now in heaven for you. And so let us rejoice this morning, first, in the reality that we've been ransomed, ransomed, that God has released us from our former ways and from our former inheritance, which we had, if we continued to cling on to it, would have only led to permanent separation from God. God has done the deliverance. God has done the ransoming through his son, which we want to consider now. Or secondly, we should also be humbled by what it took to ransom us from our former ways. What it took to ransom us from our former ways. For Peter makes it clear here in the rest of verse 18 and all of verse 19, that God ransomed us at a great price. At a great price. Peter writes here, continuing in verse 1, that we were ransomed not with perishable things, 
such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And of course, to fully appreciate the costly nature of this transaction that Peter is talking about here, and more specifically, the costly and sacrificial nature of Christ's death for us as his people, we need to understand some background to Peter's words here in the second half of verse 18. For Peter states here clearly that we were not ransomed or redeemed with perishable things such as silver and gold. And no doubt Peter mentions this for two reasons. First, Peter mentions this because there was an understanding in the culture that Peter was writing to that certain things could be ransomed, certain things could be redeemed by paying a ransom price through the exchange of silver or gold. In fact, this concept was not foreign to many within a Hellenistic culture. In fact, even under the Old Testament, there existed a provision for the ransoming or the redemption of slaves by one who was a close relative, who could, through the payment of money, ransom family members or their possessions. And of course, this idea of redemption by a family member or by a close relative in the Old Testament led directly to the concept of a kinsman redeemer. And it also laid the groundwork for our spiritual redemption by Jesus Christ, who is much more than merely a close brother, who is much more than merely a relative, but he is our maker and our Lord. And so there was certainly within the minds of Peter's readers, whether they were Hellenistic in background or of a Jewish background, this idea that silver or gold could be used to ransom or to redeem certain things, including individuals who were being purchased out of slavery. And yet Peter reveals here, secondly, through his language here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, that while physical redemption in the Old Testament and throughout Hellenistic cultures could be obtained through the exchange of currency, this is not the case. This is not the case when it comes to the redemption of our eternal souls. For Peter makes it clear here in this verse, verse 18, that we are not redeemed with perishable things. No doubt silver and gold is placed in this category. Things that perish, things that don't last, things that fly away, things that have no permanence. For while silver and gold were enough to satisfy the ransom price, the physical ransom price under the, New under the Old Testament when it came to releasing people from physical bondage, these same perishable means, silver and gold, could never offer a sufficient ransom to satisfy a spiritual debt. No man's great debt under sin could never be erased nor could God's holy demands against sin ever be satisfied by anything less than an imperishable offering offered by one who was perfectly and entirely faultless. And of course, Peter now points us here in verse 19 of 
1 Peter chapter 1, to the only means, the only means that can ransom our eternal souls, and to the one, the only one, who could qualify as our Redeemer, and that being the Lord Jesus Christ. For Peter informs us here in verse 19 that what we are ransomed by, what we are redeemed by, note this, is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. For in order for our eternal souls to be ransomed, innocent blood had to be shed. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews declared in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 that without the shedding of blood, there is what? There is no forgiveness of sins. And therefore, the only way that any of us could be ransomed and redeemed is by the actual shedding or spilling of blood. And yet it could not be by our own blood or the blood of any other sinful person for that matter. Rather, what God required for our redemption, for our ransoming, was the shedding of innocent blood, or as Peter calls it here in verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1, precious blood. And yet no drop of any guilty sinner's blood could meet this description. No drop. No, the only individuals whose life, whose blood was entirely innocent and spotless was Christ. Christ. Of course, Christ is presented throughout the New Testament. And here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 as the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of his people. In fact, notice that Peter refers to Jesus here as being like a lamb whose blood was spilled or shed on purpose. And of course, needless to say, the language of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is being used by the Apostle Peter here in our text. Peter wants us to see that our Lord's work of redemption for us first in terms of a bloody sacrifice, in terms of a costly sacrifice. For like a lamb which was offered to God and whose lifeblood was spilled for others, so did Jesus willingly spill out his lifeblood for us that we might be washed, that we might be covered by his blood, that we might be eternally delivered by his blood from God's wrath against sin. Oh, how precious is the blood of Jesus Christ to each one of us when we think about it, when we ponder it in this way. For the blood of Christ is the means by which we are ransomed. It is the means by which we are ransomed. And through its precious redemptive power, we are forever cleansed from all stains of sin, made white as snow. We are forever cleansed. We are forever pardoned from all of our iniquities and our guilt. In fact, well does hymn 188 in our hymn books, which we sang this morning, express the great confidence that we have in Christ's blood. When it declares in the first stanza, there is a fountain, a fountain filled with blood, 
drawn from where? Emmanuel's veins. And sinners like you and me plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Or the second stanza of that same hymn that says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. By the way, that fountain still flows in our day. Rejoice to see the fountain flow in his day, and there have I as vile as he washed all my sins away. Have you washed all your sins away, as the hymn said, in that fountain of blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is cleansing from all sin. And I hope that we'll all hear that today. Because you have many sins. You have innumerable sins, and so do I. And yet all those sins can be wiped clean, can be washed away, can be permanently removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Then secondly, in terms of seeing what Christ's work of ransoming us has fully accomplished, Peter reveals here at the end of verse 19 that Christ shed his blood as a lamb who was without blemish or spot. Without blemish or spot. And this is important because it speaks to who Christ is. It speaks to the fact that Christ was sinless even throughout his life, throughout all that he suffered, and that his sacrifice was gladly received by God the Father for us. When the father looked down at the redemptive work of his son, he saw a perfect, flawless, spotless lamb. In fact, this is a fascinating passage. It's looking downward upon the work of Christ from heaven itself. The father looks down and sees not sin, but his son. He sees a sacrifice that fully satisfies the demands of his justice, a a sacrifice that in every conceivable way expresses Christ's supreme love for the Father and even the Father's supreme love for the Son. Why would Christ offer himself in such a way to the Father? Why would Christ offer himself in such a way for the redemption of his people? Well, Peter concludes this section in 1 Peter 1 by giving us the answer here in verses 20 and 21. For Peter first highlights here, beginning in verse 20, that he, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Foreknown before the foundation of the world. And no doubt this speaks to the fact that even before this world was formed, long before you and I landed upon this earth, Christ was known by the Father. Christ knew of his future mission on behalf of the Father. In fact, as we considered before, beloved, Christ entered into a redemptive covenant, an agreement with the Father in the eternal counsel of God. And there Jesus Christ agreed to be our covenant mediator even before the fall of mankind. Even before then, before the foundation of the world. And there he made this agreement for us. Therefore, while we often are accustomed to thinking of Christ's work of ransoming us 
in terms of what you and I gain from it. Peter would have us to first understand by what he says here first in verse 20, that our redemption started long ago in the heart of God the Father and in Christ's eagerness to be appointed as the sole mediator even before the foundation of this world was laid. And, oh, beloved, when we think of why Christ ransomed us in these terms, how can we not be eternally grateful to find ourselves a part of it? For who are we that the Father should even before time, as we know it, plan for our redemption? Who are we that Christ should willingly volunteer to come and spill his blood for us? Who are we that Christ should covenant with the Father to ransom us by his blood at the time chosen by God? These are questions we need to ponder. We need to answer how these questions, answering these questions should make us humble saints, should make us most grateful this morning. And then, of course, in the last part of our text this morning, which covers the rest of verse 20 and 21, Peter reveals the primary reason for our redemption from our standpoint as human beings who are in need of being ransomed. And that is to make Christ and his sacrificial work manifest in these last times for our sake so that we might believe. For it was the Father's will that through Christ that we be made believers in God and not a God of our own imagination or making, but the true God who according to this verse raised Christ from the dead, who gave Christ glory. And we must believe in the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe that he raised Christ and that he exalted Christ to heaven if we want to be among those who know what it means, who know what it is to be ransomed for Christ. For we can't be ransomed by Christ if we deny these vital truths. And yet, if we do know God this morning, if we do possess faith in Jesus Christ because we believe that he's been raised from the dead and he's now seated in glory, it is only because, it is only because, it is only because Christ came to us and kindly revealed himself to us. The only reason. For as Peter states here at the end of verse 21, Christ ransomed us so that our faith and hope are in God. So that our faith and hope are in God. My dear friend this morning, is this where your faith and hope is placed this morning? Is it in God? And God alone through Jesus Christ? Is it in Christ who ransoms sinners out of spiritual death and darkness? Or is your faith and hope placed in yourself? Is your faith and hope placed in your misguided righteousness and in the sinful inheritance that you received from your forefathers? Because many are still clinging to that former inheritance. 
Many are still clinging to the old ways inherited by their forefathers, even though the text makes it clear that those ways are futile and those ways lead to death. My friend, hear me carefully this morning. Now is the time by the long-suffering of God and enabling power of His grace to choose who you will serve. Who will you serve today? Yourself, the traditions of your forefathers, the traditions of your family, traditions of those who were lost and went before you, or will you choose Christ? Will you choose the sacrifice that he has made on behalf of sinners? If you don't know Christ today, who is God's appointed redeemer and mediator for sinners, I plead with you to trust in him this morning. Trust in his work only, for through him alone you can be ransomed. Hear that today. You can be set free. You can be released. You can be delivered from your sins. He is the sacrificial lamb who was offered for sinners. Apart from him, there is no salvation. None. May God give you the grace to believe in Christ and in believing in believing this very day, this very hour by the grace of God, you will be freed from your former ways and you will be made alive unto God. May that be your desire today if you're outside of Christ, to be alive unto God, finally alive to God today. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word and for your goodness to us this morning. And we ask now that as we contemplate briefly what we have shared today by means of the preached word, that you will do a work on our hearts and help us to see that we are not only called to be holy individuals, we are not only called to live lives of accountability before you, that we are called to be individuals who are grateful for the ransoming work, the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are among the ransomed today, fill our hearts with joy. Help us to live daily in light of that reality with a great appreciation of the costliness of Christ's sacrifice. Now he deserves our service and our gratitude for all that he's done for us. Give us an appreciation today as believers of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more precious. It is our hope. It is our anchor. It is our joy. And if we are outside of Jesus Christ today, and maybe there are some here who know within their own hearts that they are not ransomed by you, that they have never placed their trust by your grace in Jesus Christ, Father, show them through what has been stated today in your word their need to be ransomed without delay, their need to be released from their former ways, from the ways of sin, from the ways of disobedience, and placed upon the path of obedience in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your spirit to many 
this morning who believe in faith so they can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and know about this glorious ransom, this glorious redemption that we've been speaking about today. For there is a fountain that is filled with blood still flowing from Emmanuel's veins. All who plunge beneath those waves lose all their guilty stains. Oh, Father, help us this morning to honor you by a proper response. Help us to honor you today in a way that shows our appreciation for all that Jesus Christ has done. For we ask these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.